0: Good evening, meat suits. Welcome back to "Read It and Weep," a podcast that used to be about books. I'm your host, Alex Falcone, recording from North Koreatown, Los Angeles. And a quick personal note before we get started today: um, I just want to let you guys know I went through. This, I hadn't told you guys much about this either, but I um, spent several hours yesterday um, rebuilding the Meat Buddy program, um, and now it is a it is a Patreon campaign. So here's what happened. Originally, when I wanted people to donate to the show, or when people wanted to donate to the show, I wasn't trying. This is all of our money things. People came to us, but anyway, people wanted to donate to the show, so I built a section on the web page. I've never been very good at web design, and I built it in a kind of a fragile way, where there wasn't like an edit button on your donations, etc. And um, what ha- And then, and then the last two weeks, three weeks ago now, scammers broke it. So. We had this thing on our website where you could just enter your credit card and donate to us. And what happened was the dark web people do this thing. I don't know if you've heard of this, where they buy, you buy like 10,000 credit card numbers, and then to know which ones to use for your crimes, you have to test them. So they build bots where they find weakly designed websites like ours that have a credit card thing, and they attempt to donate a dollar 10,000 times in a night. And whichever credit card goes through, they're like, these are the good ones. And then they use those for crimes. No. And, and it's not great. And so uh, I got a message, I got an email from our credit card processor. It was like, hey, this is bad. Um, and it's your fault. And um, all, they, they, it was seriously like 40,000 credit cards were tried over the course of a week before I took it down. Ah. And um, only one of them went through. But then the person who owned that credit card disputed the charge. And we got charged a $15 fee for the disputed charge. So we paid 15 bucks for scammers to ruin our website. And I was irritated by the whole thing. So I took it down. I'm trying to figure out a new solution. Anyway, I've decided to let somebody else handle it. So instead of it just being on our website now, if you want to become a meat buddy, you can go to patreon.com slash meat buddies. And it has all of the old things, but now in a much nicer format and, um, There's a couple extra clicks you have to do to donate now, which is both a test of your will and also proves that you're not testing credit cards. Or if you are, you're only hurting Patreon. So not us. So it's a good thing for us. Um, We're no longer helping the dark web steal credit cards and we're no longer paying for it. So I'm
1: going to have to find a new place to test all my stolen credit cards. (laughs) 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 And if I were
0: for you, you could just pay me that $15 back.
2: I. I really do appreciate that. Not only are you explaining the situation, but you're also explaining how the con works for any young enterprising <laughs> yeah. con out there who are like, Oh, um, that's a really good idea. Shoddy made websites. Thousands <laughs> of things. Okay.
0: Okay. Well, what I'm telling you is, uh, uh, mostly just what I got in the email from Stripe that was like, here's how the crime is happening. Um, but I don't know how to build a bot that finds the weak websites. That's the work you have to do on your own. Um, or maybe if you donate enough and become a meat buddy at a high enough level, that'll be one of the things I include. I don't know. Um, <laughs> That's like a tier. Yeah. yeah. Pr- the premium tier is the is the dark web tier where you get all the information on where how you to join our internet page. gang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was really pissed about the returned uh, credit card fee, and uh, I sent maybe some impolite emails to a low-level employee of stripe who um is probably just a nice person who has to answer emails and has nothing to do with all of this but it really seemed upsetting it was really upsetting to me that we were paying because we got scammed um and uh they were they were fine about it i'm not mean to people normally but i had like said several emails where they kept responding with copy pasted things that were not at all addressing what i said in the email and so Mm -hmm. i got a little testy Um,
1: yeah well i mean have you ever worked for a place where you had to use that type of stuff snippets or whatever
0: no oh see Uh, i have and you know sometimes you you just
1: yeah didn't like it and i actually quit pretty quickly so
0: (laughs) well so good maybe i was just helping these people no that sounds awful what i what i I said was like i know this is not your fault and i understand what's happening right here but just so you know here is what i'm actually talking about we got scammed you're charging me money Mm -hmm. and they were finally like actually the bank is charging you money and we're just passing that along (laughs) it's not way better um Anyway, very upsetting. But the cool thing is I actually am really, like, I spent a bunch of time building our new Patreon, and it's all of the same old Meat Buddy stuff, except now you can edit your payments, and also we made the tiers more clear. All the tiers. There's no benefits. I should be clear about that. I made some benefits, and they're the same as the old benefits, which are insubstantial. So no one go donate to Become a Meat Buddy. Don't donate to the show because of the great perks. Okay? like. Mm -hmm you get the same sh- crappy show for free. So if you want to pay hey, for that. It's not a crappy show. Okay, it's This is on a
1: prestige you. podcast, okay? Yes, yeah,
0: so you, you but, you, but you get the same podcast whether or not you donate any money. So this is all, like whatever leads you to help support shows. That's, that's not
1: actually true. Um, the people that donate actually get a, a recut of each episode that yeah, is significantly better.
0: Tears of uh of Patreon. One of them is like get the episode early. Like I can barely get it out as soon as we like I, we record it and I put it out. I just don't it know. Can't
1: come out any earlier, y'all. It can't
0: come out. I record it and a couple hours later it's out. I'm doing my best for everybody, <laughs> and I'm not gonna like hold it for everyone else. No, I don't know if anyone even cares about that. I did say that if you become Meat Buddy, you get ad free versions of the show, and that is true because we do not have any advertisers. So. Mm-hmm.
2: How have you not gotten so much further in life with this incredible sales tactic (laughs) that you apply to your creative works, Alex? Um, No,
0: look, it's possible that I've been selling it this badly the whole time and we still have people donating to the show. So it's it's maybe like I've like shot the moon on accident where I've done enough things wrong that it's working out. But maybe it's just that I cannot live with myself if I was any more forceful about asking for stuff. So Mm -hmm. this is. This is the most sales pitch I can do and still like myself tomorrow. Um, most of the tiers say that, like, we, we appreciate your generosity and bad taste in podcasts. It's really undersold, I will say. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But it, I will even go. But I, it's not a scam because you get the same ad free podcast. And if we ever did get big enough that someone wanted to advertise on the show, I'd be happy to clip it out for you. Um, yeah. That makes sense. I, I could send the same file to five meat buddies. That would be easy enough. So I'll just do like a clip, clip, no ad. Send it to you guys. You deserve it. Um, it's
1: funny though to opt someone out of an advertisement that doesn't exist yet. Because what if they wanted that? Ad? You know what I mean? Oh, like, that's
0: true. The, so maybe there's like a there's like a tier one ad free podcast. Tier two, the ads come back, and then you decide no, which I, one you want to. No, no? you're misunderstanding.
1: Okay. I think the way it works is everybody get everybody donating. They get to peek at the ad and then kind oh, of okay. give a thumbs up or down so there's a special ad peak event where so it's so not even an the episode po- the
0: podcast comes out at the same time but the ad comes out a day earlier yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, you just a premium to your ad. <laughs> <laughs> ad preview where you can hear the great upcoming casper mattress ad <laughs> i like the um, thumbs up or thumbs down though that's an important part uh, just I'm the no, i just i email back. yeah you know what i'm confident i would be willing to allow that if you donate any amount of money i don't know what else to do so yes please that okay um also that's that so patreon.com slash meat buddies oh incidentally that's because slash written and weep was already taken by a woman who has zero patrons who wanted to read her movie reviews. I'm sure she's very nice anyway, but she got to read it before I did and <sighs> didn't use it very well. And that annoys me. So patron. No, no, meet no, no, no.
1: Maybe this is exactly what it was supposed to be used for,
0: you know, to push me away from it. No, no, just to do to
1: do nothing with, I to guess do nothing.
0: Yeah. Well, also, that's the other thing that kept me from doing Patreon for a while. I had a like Patreon ha- um sent me an email. I had a meeting with somebody from there like 2 years ago now, year and a half ago now. Um and one of the things that always intimidated me was that they put the number of donors on it, and I thought mm-hmm. it would be so small, it would hurt my feelings if people knew that no one liked me, and so I didn't want that. But it turns out you can just turn that to private yeah, you, so now you guys yeah, will you never know how few people are donating
1: right right yeah you can yeah you can keep it completely hidden or I how like, many i, like I could it. be
0: literally a millionaire and that's why i'm not that selling it that hard because i'm getting yeah. millions of dollars in read and weep money i bet that's right that's more likely um okay so that's that patreon.com and then the other quick thing is we're not going to be streaming this friday we're taking friday off um uh hunter has some other business to attend to that's mm-hmm. a weird way to say that um There's a lot going on right now, and uh, so we're not going to be playing video games with Hunter this week. But we'll be back again soon with more streams, and we appreciate everybody who's hung out. It's been really fun. Great. Now let me introduce your panel. All of that stuff, personal stuff aside. um, First up, you've heard his voice a little bit, uh, mostly already roasting me for something I said. It's at Anthony Lopez Part 2 on Twitter. In Southeast Portland is Mr. Anthony Lopez.
2: Uh, And I just want to give a heads up. uh, Guys, there will be no more roasting or jokes this episode. Without... (laughs) Without first filing uh, N64 94.
0: N64 stroke. N64
2: four. stroke 4, yeah. Uh, that's four. very
0: important. Thank you. We yeah, please. You I am a stickler for police. paperwork.
2: Yeah, we got to have that paperwork properly filed uh, because of the movie we about this sure, week.
0: That's a great reference to the movie, but I thought for sure what you were saying was you're going to stop doing jokes or roasting me because I can dish it out but not take it.
2: No. No. Uh, <laughs> No, no, that, no you're, that doesn't
0: bother you at all. Okay, no, great. No,
2: your, your inability to take it is the sole reason why I come back to <laughs> give it. Right? Uh, if you no, it's like it's like a <laughs> middle school bully. If you ever socked me in the nose with a good one, I'd run away and never come back. <laughs> it's the fact that you cower in fear <laughs> and run away.
0: Right. That, that is what makes me it fun. Coming back. I get it. Uh all right. The other uh, uh also joining me today, my co-host in uh slightly condescending film school, he's at Hun Bun on Letterboxd.
1: Yeah, Check baby it out.
0: Yeah, uh between two Popeyes in Portland, it's Hunter Donaldson.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna need those jokes in triplicate. I didn't <laughs> want to.
0: <laughs> press harder next time.
1: Yeah, press um, even harder. No, yes, like it, don't like oh. it. <laughs>
0: oh man that guy um uh, so uh but before we talk about that great references but before we jump into our topic for this week real quick what else have you guys watched this week let's start with you hunter what else have you been watching
1: oh dear um i was just thinking about what else did i watch oh did i wait no. you watched a
0: serious man oh i did watch a. Se- um, oh yesterday. thank you
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're looking at my my your letterbox <laughs> My letterbox. you also watched yeah, drive last week
2: we yeah, didn't about I?
1: Drive. Yeah, oh, we I did about talk about Drive. Drive. You're, right, you're but, right. that was
0: two weeks ago. So you haven't talked talk about, about a serious man.
1: Yeah, man, that movie. I'll never Five figure stars. that movie out. It fucking rules, though. Yeah, it rules, but I'll never figure it out. I always like <laughs> I, I, I. And that, maybe that makes it weird for me to talk about it. I think that's why I like forgot about it because it's just it. It. I don't think it should be good, and it is. That's how I feel about that movie. I think it should be huh. bad because I think I think the ending doesn't. Make any, it's almost like the movie is sort of like, What's the fucking point? and then just like yeah. walks off, and you're just wow. like, Damn, that's so good. But that wouldn't be good. That, that, the message of the movie, or I, I don't even know if the movie really has a message, but uh, it it feels like the type of movie that they pull off would not work if they
0: weren't just such masters. Yeah. The thing movies. you're using here is uh, the Coen Brothers, this is a yeah. 2009 yes. Coen Brothers film.
2: Yes. yeah i uh remember i took a film class in high school and there was a uh like a guest speaker the teacher knew who came in who had written books about, about film class about film writing and every one of her examples for uh how not to write a script was a Cohen <laughs> brothers movie <laughs> wow and it was like well they're very successful and you're speaking to a bunch of high schoolers. So who should I really <laughs> listen to here?
0: Yeah, I, I bet they would but, be devastated to learn they haven't won your approval.
2: Yeah, but it was, you know, stuff like Big, you know, this was years ago, but it was stuff like Big Lebowski has a, you know, a lackadaisical protagonist who doesn't drive the f- plot forward. And, you know, mm-hmm. like, they break so many rules and stuff like that. A Serious Man is a great example of like, it's, it's such a fun journey. And like, I guess it's about like God's wrath and how he punishes us for weird things, or maybe there were bad things were always going to happen. But yeah, it's just so enjoyable. Uh,
0: I'm so glad that you said that, because we're going to talk a little bit more about protagonists driving the plot forward today uh, in our Brazil conversation. Yeah. Anthony, what have you been watching this week?
2: Uh, I had a chance to finally catch up on something. I had been really wanted to see last year, but just kind of fell by the wayside. I got a chance to watch uh, Ready or Not, which is a sort of horror comedy that came out last year. It was very interesting that, uh, you know, occasionally you see a lot of sort of like repeated themes in cinema. And uh, and last year there was a a real common occurrence of like Eat the Rich in Mm -hmm. movies, you know, between Mm -hmm. like Parasite, Knives Out, Joker, and then Ready or Not. Uh, Ready or not, yeah, jokes are definitely had that. But uh, you know, real range of quality there. But I really uh-huh. enjoyed Ready or Not. If you don't know what it is about, it's about this woman who is marrying into this very rich family who has a, a tradition that anytime someone joins the family, they're a family that made their fortune on games. Uh, so anytime someone joins the family, they must play a game. Uh, anywhere from checkers. To, uh, to the
0: game with Michael Douglas. To,
2: uh, well, I kind know. Of, because yeah. if you pool hide and seek, uh, the family has to hunt you and kill you before sunrise. <laughs> so this new bride gets hide and seek. Not good. Uh, yeah. And it is. Very delightful, very funny.
0: That's a real detriment to the marriage.
2: Yeah, Well, that's kind of the point, isn't it, oh. Alex? Uh, is it? But is yeah, no, it, no, no, it, no,
1: Alex has a valid point. That is a yeah. real detriment to the I, marriage. Well, it would be a bummer right. to nope, get
0: married yeah. Anthony...
1: <laughs> explain <laughs> yeah.
0: um, I'm just saying I wouldn't want if I lived in that yeah. family I'd be like well this does makes me kind of want to not get well, married if you're just going to shoot my wife before n- m- m- morning I want to do a that
1: version is- of every movie that comes out where we do Alex's run of the script and how long it would be like yeah. how long would that movie be you think Alex yeah
0: I'm not saying that that would be a better movie. I'm saying if I... I'm just trying to put my... Just like whenever somebody watches a zombie movie there, they talk about where they'd hide from the zombies. I'm like, how would I live in that family? Well, it, would, would, it would make me not want to get married.
2: I would argue, Alex, <laughs> that the the movie does a very good job. Like, I mean, your mileage may vary with this, but I think the movie does a very good job of... Uh, setting up why someone would knowingly go into this because there's not a chance, it's not guaranteed that you're going to play hide-and-go-seek, right? This is like a once-a-generational someone gets the hide-and-go-seek code. And uh, okay, you kind of so don't have a choice. It's either... Right, it's like the lottery. Yeah, it's either you don't get married or you do this, right? Uh, but it is, you know, it has, uh, you know, like I said, a lot of movies have the kind of this ether rich theme. This movie really wears that on its sleeve. I Fun. really enjoy the way it resolves for this fucked up family. And it's just a good sit. Uh it's on HBO Max. You can check it out there if you signed up for that streaming service. Yeah, yeah. If you if
0: you if you were one of the first people to jump on ATT's streaming service, yeah. you'll is, you'll be happy that you get and watch that movie.
2: It is pretty good. I uh, I liked it quite a bit. But you know, I don't know what the common theme for this year's movies i think uh, never coming out is going to be with yeah. 2020 movies not existing in 20- front of
1: us i think <laughs> is a big theme this year
2: yeah um but that was i think there's a really good uh trilogy in this knives out and parasite
1: uh if you want to watch and then if you want oh, just- to and Jokester. Don't and Jokester, up, yeah. If <laughs> Todd Pillhub's Jokester movie. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I was going to talk about, I wrote down in my notes, I was going to talk about my wife and I, um, we're seven episodes into the Civil War documentary now. Um, nice. But it's so sad. So let me tell you one other thing that I noticed <laughs> from other media today. Well, <sighs> now I brought it up and I feel like I have to say something. Um, well, the main part is that this really is a movie about how bad the North is at war. Oh, yeah. It's really heartbreaking for seven hours. We've watched them just like have advantage after advantage and bumble it. Yeah. They um, fired
2: everyone until they met someone who was so drunk. He could barely stand up. Yes. And <laughs> that's the guy they ended up going, going with.
0: Um, and, well, and I, the part, part we're at now is summer 1864 where um, McClellan is running for president against Abraham Lincoln. The guy, who could have han- easily won the war but didn't and like caused all of this mess is now running against lincoln on the platform that lincoln is bad at the war which is just i'm so sad for that and i i know the future and i'm still like man this is an unfair thing that's happening to lincoln right now it's very sad um anyway the other thing i wanted to say really quick is that uh my wife and i also watch a lot of jeopardy and um it's her favorite thing in the world and so we watch jeopardy evenings and last week was the teachers tournament I don't know if you guys have ever watched it. It's not quite Celebrity Jeopardy, but they make it so much easier for the teachers. Ah, it's not no, no, and they st- they don't do good. They're bad at it. It was like, oh, I, it was the only week where I felt like I could have competed. I normal Jeopardy, I would never be able to do it. Right, I could hang with teachers. That's what I learned, and that's so sad. That no, is Al- sad,
2: Alex. I've known you for a long time. You could definitely hang with teachers. Let's be <laughs> honest, here. like.
0: <laughs> I have so I mean, much respect regardless. for teachers. This is like it was just sad. It was like no, but they're the smart ones. And then it was like, oh, these are so easy. Oh my god, I got I got four final Jeopardies in a row. I've not gotten four in the last six months. Like, yeah, it was so easy. And they and one of those nights, zero of the contestants got it right. Anyway, so just try, just do better, teachers. I'm counting on you. So anyway, that's what I'm watching Maybe okay, you great. should Let's become a
1: teacher so you can go on Teachers' Night jeopardy well
0: i thought about that i thought like i can't get on regular jeopardy but if i was a teacher i'd be i'd crush it and so yeah would it be worth getting a teacher certificate because you don't get paid very well but you get all that extra jeopardy money you might actually kind of make
1: up for it you do have to factor in the jeopardy money which is why we should pay teachers less
0: my mom is a teacher (laughs) and she would have crushed these people on jeopardy she would have been she would have ruled this week and i am sad that she's not there so that would have made up for years of being underpaid and undervalued by society
2: I'm really happy that we've got taken this chance to really knock teachers down a peg. I feel uh-huh. like they've been sitting I'm on their own. I'm so high sad post- about it. Ugh. I know. I know.
0: Long. I know. It's the worst. They get it's-
2: Three months <laughs> off during the summer and they can't study for Jeopardy. What is this bullshit? It's ridiculous. It's
0: ridiculous. Jeopardy is the one that took them down a peg, not me. Okay. Anyway, let's move on. Anthony. So this week we are watching the uh, 19th. <laughs> 1985 <laughs> film Brazil. <laughs> and man, if any of us could sing, it would it's it seems like the most fun song to sing, and I can't do it. But nineteen eighty five Brazil, um, the Terry Gilliam film. And this week we did um on Anthony's suggestion, we did kind of an interesting experiment, uh or not kind of a very interesting experiment where we watched two different cuts of the movie. There's at least three out there. We watched mm-hmm. the director's cut, also known as the British version, and we watched um the American cut for television. Um, which the is, studio almost, version. well, so there's also there, I don't know. Yeah. So yes, a studio cut that, um, Terry Gilliam hated that was made for television, but is also known as the love conquers all cut. So we watched both of those in the same week. Um, Anthony, why did you pick this film and, and, and this way of doing it?
2: Well, um, I do think that this is a very interesting movie. I had not seen it in a long time, so I wanted to revisit it. So that's going to be – that's always a recurring excuse for me. Yeah, uh, But in terms I'm of the honest. sort of film school uh, sort of technique, I think this is a really great example of, you know, the power of editing, which I I think is something we've definitely danced around and talked about a little bit. But editing is kind of like – in a lot of ways, it's one of the most important and magical things about movies, right? Every movie uses editing, or most of them do. Um, but the way you can completely rearrange and completely tell a different story with a different feeling and tone. And there's actually been a few surprising things in this. So if you don't know, the Love Conquers All version, which is the second version we watched, was the studio basically got Brazil. It's a very strange movie. They hated yeah. it. They thought it was going to bomb. So they made, uh, they hired some different editors to cut 45 minutes out of it. Yeah, it is the TV version, so it's in four by three, which is something oh. else I didn't think about, what is another thing to be able to directly compare the widescreen uh-huh. uh correct aspect ratio to seeing the shots um in four by three. Although it's
0: a little bit it's a little bit unfair because if you're watching these on like nineteen nineties TVs. It would be a different experience too, because we all have widescreen TVs now, but in the nineties right. we would have had four by three TVs.
2: Yeah. I mean if you were watching you know, realistically the wides there would not have been a widescreen version back then. Right, right. You know, and if you
0: were though, it would be letterboxed, whereas if you wa- like whereas on this one it was like the four by three one is letterboxed. Yeah. And um, so it was that also because it's the T V version They removed all the swear words and replaced (laughs) them with the names of bands as as said by a different guy.
2: They also have, you know, besides, you know, wildly moving scenes around, I was surprised how many completely different takes and different
0: versions of scenes there were. Well, yeah, Uh, that was super interesting. It wasn't just editing the exact same footage because there were things there were. Alternate versions of scenes that had been filmed but not used. So they actually had way more source material to fuck around with than I had realized.
2: Well, yeah. that's, you know, another thing about the magic of editing is like the way something right, can right. become so many different things. And when you look at something like this, the comparison, you know, especially because it is a real, you know, however you feel about Brazil, you cannot argue it is like a definitive vision that a man, crazy man, had. Yeah, it right. is a such a unique voice, and you know, I watched this with my wife who had never seen it before, and uh, she really kind of bounced off it. And I feel that it was we kind of talking. You mean she about didn't that like after. it. Yeah, she did not like it. Interesting. Um, and well, I mean, I think she enjoyed it. She just said she didn't really get it. Um,
0: oh, okay, great. And
2: wanted to kind of go back to it eventually. Yeah. Um, but what I kind of think is that I, it's kind of her to sort of imagine this movie after we've had, you know, almost 30 years of Tim Burton's and Wes Anderson's and other directors who were popular in the States, even who are very, very stylized. You think this is 1985. This is before Tim Burton's Batman. This is before any of these movies that Brazil. So obviously influenced in terms of the aesthetic design. Uh, So like it kind of loses its punch a little bit because of that. Yeah. But, but what yeah, I really Yeah, we talked about enjoyed, that before
0: with me, where I love, like, a little bit with Lord of the Rings, uh, with just stuff that has influenced everything, but it is less impactful having all, already seen all the yeah, stuff it influenced. Yeah, right,
1: but, but you're like, coming at it backwards. You're yeah. seeing yeah. all the stuff yeah. that came after that and then being...
0: but Yeah, uh, yeah. Same thing. we talked about this all the way back in the Citizen Kane episode, which is, like, even though it's still great, there's a lot of film techniques that are not powerful, that are just, like, normal-seeming, because we've only seen movies in the post-Citizen yeah, world.
2: That um, creative inflation is what the yes. term creative I, wrote, inflation. I liked. Yeah.
0: Oh, I like that um, so much.
2: But so I, what I do think, especially what's really interesting about the Love Conquers All cut, which if you find like the Criterion collection, this is a big part of the reason why they package them together is because this exercise. But the way you can really see some that I thought is hilarious is you know, you hear a lot about studios and this sort of patronizing, dumbing down of material, yeah, like how it. studios think audiences react and how they will understand stuff. And there's like this very little subtle cues. So Brazil, if you've never seen it before, um, involves a lot of dream sequences in which you're not usually... You're just kind of cut. It just cuts into the dream sequences. And because it's like nice, beautiful skies and a man is flying, you can kind of piece together. It's a dream. It's a dream, yeah. But in the studio cut, it starts on a still frame of the act of sleeping and then like waves into his head. And then they put like this ridiculous white vignette around the frames just so the audience really knows.
0: I will give one tiny dream. one tiny apology for that which is that they also took something that wasn't a dream sequence and made it not a dream. And so they had to oh, gauze yeah. <laughs> up the dream to yeah. make it not look like the dream version later, which was already a little gauzy. So it already well, had a bit of that. So, so they had to th- crank it way up on the other one to make it different.
1: That actually brings up something that I wanted to say is really fun about this exercise is you can see how a lot of... And I mean, I think the, the all the goals with the Love Con- Conquers All um, edit are like not fun but if you decide like okay well here are the problems they had to solve it is kind of a good lesson in like how editing can try to help you solve yeah. problems like yeah. deciding something at the end isn't a dream anymore so now well, you have to figure out a way to contextualize it differently. Yeah, you have
0: to make the gauziness of that look less dreamlike by making the dream so blaringly obvious. So yeah. it is really interesting. And the, the, the most interesting thing for me about it is the fact of these alternate takes of things. That was the thing I was most surprised by when I was watching it. For some reason, I just thought I pictured this as like a fan exercise where you sent me the film and I, I just rearrange and cut stuff but this actually like had a bunch more information they could add, which was super interesting. Um, we're going to talk more about that in a second, but let me summarize for people who have never seen the movie. So yes. um, here is my trademarked three-sentence summary um, of um, the 19- um, um, 19- um, now, nineteen eighty five film, duh, duh, Brazil. Sam Lowry duh, duh, duh. is an unambitious bureaucrat with moderate computer skills and precognitive superpowers, living in a futuristic, brutalistic, bureaucratic hellscape that you'd expect from uh, the brains of a British person in the 1980s. That's only one um he has a recurring dream where he kisses a strange woman in his mom's bed while dressed as david bowie then that woman randomly shows up at his office and he throws away everything in his life he's ever had to kiss her in his mom's bed which works and then all while she's wearing his mom's wig and then the government tortures him to death or they live happily ever after up to you (laughs)
1: uh i I gotta add one little edit to that terry gilliam is one of ours he's an american man not a british man oh is he really
0: Yes. Yeah. But he lived in London for, in, in yes, London yes, yes, yes. for many, it's, many years. It's,
1: it's, I, get, I get the I, – I just want to make the distinction that we can claim him a little bit. Yeah, that's
0: fair. I did actually see that. Um, uh, So, okay. So that's my summary of the movie. I, I really want to talk – like focus on this exercise of the two different cuts of stuff. But will you give me a quick briefing on Terry Gilliam? So he's one of ours, but he lived in the UK. Yes, he was so- – yeah, a member of Monty Python, but you'd never recognize him for that.
2: Well, he was the so Terry Gilliam is an American animator and illustrator who oh moved. he makes
0: all the gross yes. animations. Yes, so that was oh, his shit.
2: That was his contribution. So Terry Gilliam moved to England in the sixties. Uh-huh. Um, Became he was you know did illustrations for American comics uh, and sort of like weird comic almost zine type things in a few magazines. Uh, got hired working in British television, where he just happened to meet, uh, you know, John Cleese, Michael Palin, who's actually in this movie. Who's uh, so I,
0: delightful I believe, in this movie?
2: I believe he's the only. It's kind of weird. A lot of early Gilliam movies feature quite a few of the Mighty Pythons, but Michael Palin is, unless I'm forgetting someone, the only oh, Python in this movie. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, but yeah, so you know, he got started working with them. But yes, he did all the animation.
0: For Monty Python. He didn't really. I'm mostly a Monty Python fan, but I will say if you're going to tell me, like, if I had to pick one thing that I would lose and not care, it's the animation.
2: Yeah, I mean, you have to, you uh, you can't argue that it definitely has a very unique style. uh, And it is such a distinct voice in his animation. Uh, But yeah, so he, you know, went on to, he is the co director on Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, with another one of the Terry um, Jones, Terry Jones, yes, Terry Jones was responsible for like the performances, and Terry Gilliam was involved in the set design and stuff like hmm. that. So he's definitely always had a visual eye to that. But yeah, he directed or co-directed the first three Monty Python movies, and then he did, uh, you know, Jabberwocky, Time Bandits, this, and then went on to make you know such films as. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, or um, what's the big Twelve Monkeys?
0: Four monkeys, yeah. then A lot
2: of a lot of garbage on top of that, and is a real <laughs> kind of shitty personality. Now we're um, gonna
0: come back to his shitty personality, but, but first, it, you mentioned you you kind of groaned when I said that the animations would be the thing I could replace and not notice. Um, are you a big Terry Gilliam animation fan?
1: Uh, are you talking to me? Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm content. sorry. I did, I did not. Re- I thought you were talking to Anthony.
0: Um, okay, Hunter, you went. Oh, yeah, I said uh, that. no, I yeah.
1: love the Terry Gilliam animation, and I actually love. Uh, I, I think that is a part of what makes Monty Python so unique and so special is the way that they get. So you know this from the one of the hardest things about writing a sketch is how do you get out of it? Right. We all know this. Not, this not is one like, of it. it's by
0: far the hardest thing about sketch comedy yeah. is ending sketches. Yeah, and I will say almost no one almost never correct it's almost never worked yes there's there and so so i guess which is not to uh, um attack sketch comedy it is to say it might not be possible it might be like a broken function of the art form an art form that i love
1: so what you're saying when oh i could toss out the animations from monty python is there i think brilliant fix for get and they i'm not saying they use this tool Every time, or the same way every time. But the animation was part of their way of getting out of a sketch without yeah. having to actually write the ending because the ending sucks. No yeah. one likes that part, anyways. Yeah.
2: And it's a, the, his animation style is also another one of those things that has been like, it's so ambiguous, especially in like 90s album covers uh, mm-hmm. of like alternative bands. A lot of bands I grew up loving, the art design was just directly lifted from Terry Gilliam's animation style. Right, so like okay. different scales just cut out collage sort of artwork um it is you know it's hard to kind of have the correct context to really appreciate it because yeah. like you said it is it is kind of so odd and really
0: is, stands it's out so and it's, in the movies is where I was mostly thinking of it is it just feels so out of nowhere um, and off-putting
1: yeah well um, I think I think it's worth talking about the the um, well, so first of all, Terry Gilliam does get to d- does get in front of the camera a little bit, especially in the movies. And yeah. some of his roles are my favorite parts. Like the uh, he always plays Clark. the stinkiest, grossest mm. characters. He's always oh. got dirt on his face and stuff. Um, Who was he in this movie? In which one? Sorry,
0: in this one? No, in not Brazil? this. No, oh not, in no, no, no. i right,
1: in, in Monty Python stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But the short in front of uh, Meaning of Life, the Crimson Permanent Assurance. Uh, short is uh, probably more like if you watch that you can kind of see the transition from his animations for Monty Python and his style of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very useful for that. He did direct Especially that as that's
2: well. Short. Yeah, and I mean he is someone who like I said definitely has you can see such a straight line from his work to like the work of like Tim Burton just a few yeah. years later. Yeah. Yeah. But something about Terry Gilliam that I've I think as he's gotten older and kind of gotten more sort of grouchy and his films have gotten more rushed, it's, he's always been a director who definitely you can tell, um, has a very strong vision and knows what he's doing, but doesn't seem to know how a regular movie is made. Like Mm -hmm. just his, his, and like for a lot of his movies, especially like, I think 12 Monkeys, uh, this, uh, Fear and Loathing is, I think a great example uh, the way he just wildly disregards the ways films are normally put together and types of, in terms of the like shot composition, his weird, like weird lens close ups. And it definitely works in his stuff that feels more surreal or more like, you know, especially like I said, Fear and Loathing with his heavy drug imagery works mm-hmm. really well in that. Um, but he has just such a distinct style. Um, that's so interesting so, to watch him evolve over the yeah, years. But, okay. you know. so
0: let's jump into our exercise then. So we watched um, the, this like his version that he wanted everyone to see. And then we watched this like s- cynical corporate TV version from someone who did not care for the film. And it had some things that I think are like we we're just saying some interesting problem solving that they did. Um, and certainly there's a lot of stuff that is awful. Um, like, uh, the, the, well, dubbing out swearing actually, I kind of in, like it makes me laugh instead of <laughs> be angry most of the time. And it reminds me of my childhood of watching movies on TV. Yeah. And yeah. so I kind of like when someone does like a yippee eye, yeah, uh, mother thumper or whatever. Like, I enjoy that. It's cute. And so the fact that he, instead of saying Jesus Christ, he said Judas Priest a bunch of times is a very funny replacement for me. That is funny. Yeah. Um, it's like the opposite, but it's also a band. Uh, It's good. It's a good time. So that is it's, but there are some other, um, there's there's a lot of just cheap ADR that's just like, like they recorded the lines in, in a hallway with someone who didn't sound even a little bit like the person. And Mm -hmm. they sound so over the top, uh, like helpful. Like it just sounds like the editor or the narrator pops in and is like, just in case you're not getting it, here's what the thing is. And then pops back out. This is or very bad.
2: Rear, I mean, the... I thought when, like, the way the um, studio cut opens is with the... The, reg- the regular movie opens with a terrorist explosion that's kind of like a vignette that's kind of stands by itself.
0: But yeah, the... the- sk- okay, so, uh, so I just want to mention that real quick because it's so fun. So it's uh, you're seeing a TV of the, a guy talking about all the different ducts that are available in this new world because um, you have all these bad ducts. And then the movie really fulfills the promise of ducts. Like yes. that opening image is about ducts, and you're like, well, this doesn't seem that important. Man, there are a lot of ducts, and they're important. So it's a yeah, great I, mean, well, I would it, say I top ten things in this movie, the duct work. Really yeah, important. <laughs> it, it's such a great
2: example of Terry Gilliam's style, which is like, let's find a cool set and what's what's just something weird we can pit in it. Uh, ducks everywhere have just more ducts There's
0: ducks yeah. everywhere then when they cut through the ceiling to arrest people you see the duct work in the yeah floor, which is really cool and then also like the ducting going wrong in his house is like a major plot driver and then also the way they use the um those bank um pneumatic tubes that go thump and take your stuff yeah. away and mm-hmm. the way they use that and then it comes back and then that builds to him breaking it and causing the snowstorm of paperwork everywhere like It's not, it's such a great use of like ducts, ducts, also the ducts are used to show class in a really interesting way with like the, because the commercial saying there's always fancy ducts. So it was like mom's house has like diamond encrusted ducts. And then you're like, gross ducts that are all piled up. And also just like, as a thing about this, like everyone is a hashtag analysis. Everyone is like a cog in this machine. Everyone is just a duct through which this paperwork passes and they're not actually people doing anything.
2: I, damn Alex. i'm analyzing yeah things. they're doing good i'm loving
0: it i just want to skip over the ducting because i just love the ducts in this movie so much and it sounds that's stupid great. but for an actual metaphorical reason no, no um, I but think yeah it's beautiful i, I didn't even notice it. the
1: diamond encrusted ducks i forgot about them completely
0: so there's the ones in her house that are just painted and i think maybe it was the fancy restaurant where they were coated in diamonds mm-hmm. um i can't remember now but there's also fancy ducts in the lingerie store that they're in right mm-hmm. So you actually do get to see the like upgraded ducts, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay, so that's why I I like that. But so the opening of the main of the of the of his cut of the director's cut, yeah, is that commercial, and then the you're watching on a TV in a store that gets blown up by a terrorist bomb.
2: Yeah, and then you get you know all this sort of um, very quick wordless exposition of a literal bug in the machine that sort of sets the thing off. But the way the studio, the studio cut opens is with a scene from like 20 minutes in the movie that I felt like I was watching a trailer for the movie in the first minute because it's just like it has this weird scene with no context and then the title comes up and I'm like, did they put the trailer for the movie before
0: Yeah. Uh, That's actually a good way to describe it because the way it's cut it does feel like a commercial for the actual movie rather than the yeah. movie yeah. itself.
2: And it's just one of those things. Then, then it cuts to the bug in the machine sequence, but while well, in the director's cut, it's all silent. And, uh, like there's audio noise room, but there's no voiceover. And instead yeah, of studio, of cuts, they add all this voiceover, just so you really understand exactly what is happening. It thinks you're yeah.
1: so stupid. It thinks yeah. you're, it, it doesn't even just think you're stupid with the plot. There's like, it like feels like you can't get, there's like a joke. Oh, what is the, it's not even a joke, really. He just makes a reference to Casablanca and it doesn't show you Casablanca. And then it has to show like, or right. Am I right? In the original cut, it doesn't actually show you Casablanca. You just hear it a little bit. And then he says. I thought you
0: saw Casablanca in in the original and not in the cut, but I could be wrong. See, that's what's weird
1: about watching the two cuts of the same movie back to back. I'm pretty sure if
0: we were doing this as a better experiment, one of us should have watched them in the other order because that feeling that it's a commercial um, like I I do wonder how this movie would feel to me if I had not just seen the other version. And Mm -hmm. because so my brain the whole time I was watching it was thinking like, this is different. This is different. This is different instead of like being in it. Um, yeah,
2: it also, like, I think it would be interesting to do it that way because re-watching it, like, there's something about the cutting so much out of it that when you don't allow any of the weird imagery to breathe, it becomes even weirder somehow. Mm-hmm, that yeah, sure. Like, yeah, there's I'm- something about when you're, because it's not just, like, one weird thing after another after another it has, like, the, the really the original kind of sits in a lot of these scenes and really lets you kind of take in these sort of small yeah. moments and you get acclimated to them before you're tossed into the next weird set. And instead, in the studio cut, it's just, like, cutting so fast that yeah. it's just a barrage of weirdness. And then... So,
0: can I? Sorry, I want, I want to pull on that. And so, combining that with what you just said, Hunter, about it thinking you're them t- treating you like you're stupid. One thing that I talk to people about when I'm teaching them stand up is that um, we. I I tend to encourage people to use stupider language and be more obvious about the points they're trying to make. Yes, because you're not talking to a bunch of like really attentive and aware people. You're yelling at drunk people in a bar, and so you have to dumb it down a little bit for the the drunk people in a bar. So that sort of reminds me of if you're making a show for like tbs dinner in a movie um you don't have as attentive an audience as you do in a theater you have people at home you have commercials mm-hmm. every 15 minutes yes, yes so yes. you do have to be like a little bit more heavy on the plot so and i'm not trying to excuse scheinberg i like clearly there is some like bad things happening here yeah yeah, yeah. um but i do wonder if part of it is about the genre as well i'm sympathetic like, to
1: that yeah. i'm saying with this casablanca thing which i did look up right away and it is they do include a cut of it, they actually show it in the bad version and not in the good version. So that okay. I would say is an example of them literally thinking you're too stupid to yeah. get a reference to the line, here's looking at you kid. Right. Without them also showing you physically the movie.
0: Well uh, so okay, so, so I think we've done enough groundwork or duct work on this in this part. <laughs> so let me let me be the fly in the machine. Yeah, go ahead. And do the thing that you sort of assumed I would do. Opening myself up emotionally yeah. to certainly a severe mistreatment by my friends.
1: Knives out, baby. I'm ready. I'm a stab.
2: Wait, before we kind of go into that, can I just make sure that we're all on the same page? Cutting the the close up of Michael Palin in the baby mask. Is one oh. of the worst decisions, unforgivable. A studio makes. I mean, easily, I think the best shot in this entire movie, uh, and the fact that they didn't even have the 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 smarts to know you have to leave that close up in, yeah, uh, it's just wild. That was the- well,
1: and cutting out the samurai and all the weird yeah. little, yeah. Well, they, so, so, clearly, they on. just thought hang like on. there are times where they were just like, oh, this movie's weird. I'm, I'm so scared of it.
0: So I'm gonna okay, but so here's where I feel is that uh I felt very much like Anthony's wife after this movie, um where I thought it was weird, and I did not get it, and I really enjoyed it. I had a very good time yes. I, I I feel like I would like I would even say i like I love the look of this movie, but also it was a little boring in parts, a little long, and there are no clear character motivations ever and uh i felt like a lot of weird annoying coincidences run this whole movie and it doesn't make any sense and i don't care about this guy at all and i don't care about what's happening i don't understand Okay okay hold up hold up hold anyway, up
1: stop 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 let's let's slow down things? you you made a claim you made a big claim No no, no
0: i I'm, I'm not not a claim this claim of how i felt Yes and so well, what i just wanted to say was there were some things in the edit that were m- pleasingly cleared up and that I felt like if I had gotten that in the other movie I would have liked it better. And so I I I feel like this is my proposition that although the Love Conquers All cut has a lot of things that I don't like that are obviously bad that we all agree are bad there might be a compromise between the two versions that could be artistically very satisfying and also better.
1: I'm okay. open to it. I what I want what I want from you right now is not ambiguity, specifics. Tell me in, in I, citing the movie, because the movie is the text. Let's get some of that into this discussion.
2: And I, I do want to put out there, I do think like most Terry Gilliam movies, uh, this is, it is a very self-indulgent piece yeah. of
0: work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. don't
2: think that there is... I think that his sort of irreverent sense of humor and sort of style in which kind of leads to, again, sort of the and he is today, is that his like, I think that if I can just real quick, kind of go on a quick tangent on my reading of this movie. Yeah, it, yeah. You
0: know, go ahead. We do that, we're seven tangents deep that we have to go back to already. No, just I just know. want
2: to say, just sort of like, I think the movie that, like, on the most sort of basic level, what this movie is about is Terry Gilliam is saying I'm a genius, I hate paperwork, right? <laughs> it is it is like I want to create yeah, unoffendedly, and all the, everyone is just like I have to fill out forms, and I have to get approval, and yeah. fucking everyone who tells me no is a monstrous corporate cog, and I'm the only genius in the I world. I just
1: want to make the damn movie. Like that's yes. you can almost hear him whining yes. like um, that,
0: and maybe. Even I wish I didn't have to go to sexual harassment training.
1: Yes, well, I would say but what
2: I would say is that looking at this movie through a 2020 lens what I think this movie actually is, is a genius um, sort of examination of wealth uh, privilege and whites sort of uh, middle of the road fail signage. It's about about this person who uses his his privilege and has uh-huh. absolutely no at the beginning of the movie uses has no empathy or no ambition. And it's just going to fail upwards due to his class and yeah. privilege. He gets from his parents right. and then projects onto other people, what he wants uh-huh. to the detriment and literally death of these people. Yes, And at the end, is left alone but in such a dream world that it doesn't matter it doesn't affect like not he becomes the hero and this protagonist of the story that does not exist because that's the way people who are you know these shitty fail sons who just move through life thinking they're the hero of a story uh, and the damage and the you know chaos that they cause around them but it doesn't affect them. So I don't think that's like the
0: intended message to it. No, but I like it in- that reading a lot, though. Me watching too.
2: Watching it in twenty twenty, that was the kind of takeaway I had about. I mean, I, a
0: little bit having talked to you though, I do feel like whatever movie we watch, you're going to be like, "This proves my point that we should eat rich people." Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, but I totally, I love that reading of it, and I don't, I, I definitely like, like the parts, the like skewering the rich people is so so funny, um, and the the like the the office culture stuff is really funny i, I thought that the movie was hilarious and i enjoyed a lot of its weirdness although i did think the dream sequences were too long and there were too many of them mm. um so i liked that about the edit is that it had way fewer dream sequences um but i like my other main feeling like my main feeling about their about the motivations of the characters yes are get back to that yeah, so let me go back to that because I think that's really important, and I do think they by including some more dialogue that was that he wrote and shot, it made the characters make more sense. Yes. Um, and the main thing that is frustrating to me is that the movie still centers around this sort of relationship to this woman who he magically knows exists and dreams about all the time. So he has some weird precog things that I, well, I, I mean, don't. I think again, totally a but
2: don't you think it's more of a projecting on to this other woman his yeah. dream state? Like it's no, more. Yeah, like, I
0: love that example, except that it's the same actor. So it is her. But I mean, well, but she, she
1: is, looks different. Her dream state it's, is it's, different it's, than in her it's, real her life. Her
0: face and his mom's wig. That's exactly but, what I it mean, is.
1: At the end, she is literally his
2: mom. Yes. so I see that. It's like she just looks a lot like his mom when she was younger
0: yeah and if you had if they had done a thing, I wish th- I was like I had to double check really quick because I hadn't been paying close enough attention where it was that actor and she was wearing crazy age makeup and being his mom that'd be so interesting um but anyway, that was not what was happening but the so that story with him and his like literally being as love as his mom i just if 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 we couldn't see her face perfectly in the dream, I could have gotten that from it that he was projecting onto this lady, and that would have helped me a lot. but then we're still missing the part where she Decides to come to his house and kiss him for like after he's been a psychopath, like her decision to be like, I should also fuck this guy is so nonsensical and weird.
1: It is weird and and it is nonsensical.
0: Very frustrating for me that that's sort of what the center is around.
1: Yeah. So with. But don't you feel how that kind of fits in? Like we've literally watched this guy do nothing. Basically, to deserve anything that he oh, receives in life, yeah. Like, I mean, honestly, Anthony kind of already explained it. His reading kind of solves that issue, which I would say when I first watch when I first watched this, I watched it in high school, and I remember even then I was like, that was fucking weird. Like that yeah. their relationship at the end yeah. that was like nothing. And then when it ended, I was kind of like, okay, I feel like there's something in there that I don't think that they're. I don't think Terry Gilliam shot all that being like, this is how relationships work. I know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. But I'm not
1: saying I know exactly. Like, I I feel like I did not connect the dots um, in the way that Anthony just did. But for me, Anthony's read of it does kind of solve that.
0: I'm having more trouble with this now.
2: And also, I think that with most Terry Gilliam movies, he doesn't, like... I know I've criticized other people for this in the past, but I, I definitely don't think, I think Terry Gilliam uh, is like a really great sort of visual idea guy. I really don't think he's that great of a storyteller. I've never mm-hmm. have. I really don't think any of his movies, I would be like, man, that is a well, that is a good story, well told. I'd be like, it's a lot of interesting images and sometimes the story works, sometimes it really doesn't. Yeah. Um, and I think that this is definitely the type of movie that, for me, it's more about sort of the the visual journey. But like Hunter, yeah. I also have not seen this since high school. And I was kind of like blown you did a away. Great
0: job by it now. Um,
2: but especially the stuff that's like, you know, when he has her in the truck and he's going from like threatening her to like mm-hmm. cheering like a yeah. child as they, as, I was just like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Yeah, Right. Why is this guy
0: such
2: an aggressive piece of shit? Right.
0: It does make sense as a, as a guy who's had everything handed to him. The only thing I think that sticks in my craw about that explanation is that we see for a while his unambitiousness. He's like in his first job, he's also more competent than everybody else in the bureaucracy. So there's this other thing that's like everyone we see do work in the bureaucracy. Is an idiot, and like his boss is like literally sniveling and does not know how to how to do any of his job. And then his the the sort of office mate in his higher job doesn't know how to turn on his computer and claims that he's a computer guy. That's like right. he's a genius he doesn't to turn on. So there's the sense that he's also Sam is like the only competent person in this bureaucracy, which just undermines a little bit well, him I, being well, such a that that a
1: that is only in the first act that you could. Think that I feel like as the movie goes on, you actually kind of learn because I feel like there's maybe a tension that you'd lose if you took that out. Um Because at the beginning, you're watching a, a guy who is dreaming about himself being a great hero. Yes. Um He's literally dreaming about himself being David Bowie. And then you see him at his work and yeah, he does help that his boss is kind of an idiot and he does basically do all of the work. But I don't know if he's like a genius or if his boss is just an idiot. And then as you it's not like he's any he's not good at the next job, and everything he does from the second act on is basically I mean, he's he fails pretty hard. (laughs)
2: There's a name for that management principle, right? The like people you fail. Like if you do really because you do really good at one position doesn't mean you'll do oh, good yeah, at the yeah. next one. Yeah. So yeah. like people often like get promoted up and then they get promoted to the point right. where they're
0: like, I'm Loving no longer
2: good at this.
0: And then you're fired. Uh,
2: yeah. Or they get stuck there forever and it's right. just the way the bureaucracy works. I do, do- love even though I do have like I get where you're coming from, Alex. Uh, it's one of the things again that you kinda like you sort of let it I, at least I do, I let it go because Ian Holmes is so funny and weird. God. Like just just the fact that he is, is Ian Holmes. Ian Holmes is his
1: first boss. He
0: Oh is, yeah. He's uh, so great. He's so funny. Uh,
2: android and alien and he was in the hobbit we've been watching a lot of ian dude Holmes yeah
1: he's winning like- the he he has the most read it and weep season three appearances of any actor. No i want to keep track of that from now on um,
2: great but his like how quickly he's just like oh i got this check i should just kill myself right now it's, <laughs> no, yeah. it's so goddamn funny
0: yeah uh, and the check was sent to undermine him uh, yeah that's so funny um uh the other little thing and I, I hesitate to mention this now cause you answered the first one so well that I feel a little sillier about this, but maybe just in so less, con- less, less controversial tone, but just let me ask you a quick question. Um, which is that I, in my writing group last week, I got, um, uh, yelled at for um, a sort of coincidental thing that happened in a script I was working on. And the agreement of the writers, uh, very good writers is that coincidence um, uh, coincidences sort of undermine the ability for characters to take actions and do important yes. things mm. and, and have agency. And this story, like the fly that causes this whole thing to start is like, that's a crazy coincidence, but fine. That's great. That's what we're watching. But then like, um, Tuttle happens to show be the person who hears that guy and who goes to his duct work and the duct people show up, even though they say they're never going to show up. And then she happened, the his, the girlfriend happens to be the one being tortured by his friend. The only other person he knows in this vast bureaucracy. And then after running from the cops, she just happens to take him for no explained reason to the lingerie store that his mom's friend happens to be shopping in. Like every single thing that happens is this mind blowing coincidence that makes it, like harder for me to uh, like feel involved in this mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the decisions of the actors.
2: I mean, I, I would agree with that again, that kind of goes into the uh, not a great story, super well told kind of thing that I feel yeah. about yeah, yeah. Gary Gilliam's work. Yeah. Um, But also, I think you don't know how
0: fucking validating it is to hear you not disagree with these two things. Oh my god!
2: I I would definitely. I think I've been stressed
0: about this for twenty four hours. I was like last night. I was like, oh, they're going to be so mad at me for saying this.
2: I think some of those things, if you sort of rewatch the movie, it's like, okay, that's not necessarily a coincidence as much as that's sort of like, um, like you know, she doesn't take him to the store. She's going to the store and he's following her right it's like no, but we don't
0: trying she, to get her- he, he doesn't even they don't talk at all about how they went from they blast through a roadblock so now everyone in the country is pursuing them and then they are just bang in a lingerie yeah, yeah. section of a yeah, very I fancy department store with you no know, explanation at all
1: you know it bothers me even when just the fact that the girl in his dreams lives above the
0: above buttle the, yeah
1: above Tuttle and then he's the one that gets buttle. sent out to Tuttle or Buttle. Yeah. Wait, which is the right one? Mr. Buttle.
0: Yeah. Buttle, buttle is the is one the, who was killed. Yeah, Tuttle yeah, is yeah. the sorry, is, sorry, uh, sorry. Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro, who we have not his... talked
1: about at all. Yeah. Yeah. He was
0: so delightful. Yeah. yeah. Oh, also really... Bob Hoskins is so delightful. Yeah. Man, so uh... many people in this movie are great.
2: Yeah, I mean Tuttle, by the way, I mean, can we he's not an actual terrorist. we we all agree on that, right? He is no, just no. literally a rogue unlicensed repaired person yeah us being one of the most wanted men in the country
0: i'm not saying that we can agree on it um i'm saying because the two films do not agree on it because in the first movie in the long version he is not in the second movie he is a uh he is a terrorist who does rescue our hero that's not a dream sequence in the other movie and it leads to like they kept in for no reason the a thing, a magic thing that happens in his yeah. dream where Tuttle gets, like, so they're running away and in the in the long cut, it's like he gets out of this torture thing and by, by being rescued by this heating engineer and then his, the heating engineer gets covered in paperwork and it literally makes him vanish. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, so they make it in the second short version. I'm trying to explain if you haven't seen it. In the yeah, second yeah, yeah, short gotcha. version, it's no longer a dream sequence, but they keep the part where paper flies up at his face from the ground and kills him.
1: And that's funny that you real thing that happened in it, that movie it's funny that you bring this up because all i knew about the other cut was that the dream sequence at the end is real that's all i knew
0: oh interesting so yeah. go
1: so when i watched it i had forgotten that robert de niro gets literally swallowed up by paper yeah and while I was, <laughs> and
0: disappears it's crazy so
1: while i was watching it in the original cut with the later when that happens i'm like Wait, how do they fix that?
0: And then they <laughs> the fact that they you don't can just cut away from it, like, you don't have to include it. And they were so yeah. pressed for time, yeah, put back in two more of the jokes and then get rid of that. It's weird. That was yeah. that was the one where I'm like, this, somebody should be fired for that decision, right?
2: Right, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, making it feels like it's a uh, we paid how much for Robert De Niro, we're gonna keep <laughs> yes. it every goddamn He's second. Oh, so
0: good. And his even just the physicality of him working in the ducts mm-hmm. is so funny um okay so we we have to wrap up we had some others we have so many other things to do before we go and it's already so late so um really quick i just want to say two more things one is that we don't have time to yell at me about this but i don't hate happy endings anyway okay. um i kind of liked the happy ending um but then the other thing is i just want to like just but you didn't just like direct... their
1: relationship so you no, want... i didn't
0: but given the relationship that i had to deal with already i do kind of like them driving away and living in paris it was nice see in,
1: i in i I think the only way I can forgive the relationship is if it's a bad, if is it with the bad ending. That's why I hate the happy ending. Oh, interesting. Is that where he gets her killed? Yeah. On, honestly. Cause it, yeah. it, if at the end of the movie, it's not saying, cause it, I feel like it's one of those movies where you're kind of like, what am I supposed to think about this character? And then at the end you kind of find out where the character is at solidly, not to say that it isn't uh apparent beforehand, but if
0: he gets a happy ending, what does that mean about what we're saying about who this person yeah. is? Like, well, I, until I, until Anthony explained to me what they were trying to say, I didn't have that problem. But okay, so this <laughs> is the last thing I want to do is I just want each of each of us to say our favorite joke from this thing, our favorite oh damn funny thing because there's so many great things. Um. I, I definitely, there's, there's there's a couple that jump out at me, too really strongly, um, and then a bunch of little things, but do you guys have a favorite joke? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll do mine, mine first, actually. Um, sorry. Or if you're ready, Anthony, you go.
2: Oh, I was, just, the first one that comes to mind, which is one of the few lines I sort of really remembered from this movie, uh everything with Jim Broadbent. I can't remember anything specifically yeah. that he does, but he is so goddamn good in this. He is the plastic surgeon. Oh my uh, God.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, oh, he's so they, funny.
2: The line that Michael Palin says when in his office, and he's like, um, uh, "You you tortured the wrong man because like, I tortured the right man, who was the wrong man delivered to me, but yes. he was the right man to me." Like it's, yeah,
0: I forget well, the, it exact, the right man. Yeah,
2: yeah, but exactly, forget exactly what the word he says, but the way he just is like this fun word salad. Yeah. Of like, well, he,
0: he was the right man, pre- or the wrong man presented to me as the right man. So I was and I took right, right. them on their word that it was the right man. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that.
2: That's fun in me.
0: Yeah, my favorite thing is also around Palin's office, but it's not him. It's the secretary um, who takes dictation on the torture yeah and doesn't it's just so chill as hell about it and you just see her typing and then you like see the words and they're just like somebody screaming oh no stop ow oh my god i've done done nothing wrong and then she turns the headphone out and you just hear screaming she's like what did you want and then she like is like it's almost done don't worry it's almost done and then you like presumably the character dies and he's like she's like yep i thought it would be done anyway oh she's so funny that's pretty Uh, good hunter
1: um, I'm going to I'm going to use this. Well, so I like I like when the guard tells him to not hold out too long because it could jeopardize his credit rating. That's yes. pretty good. Yeah. Um, oh, there's the weird part with the little girl where she's like, I won't look at your willy or whatever when he's changing. That's very odd. Um, and then oh, the,
0: so on the uh, just on that to explain the guard thing, just because so, this is such a great part of this is that in this world, when you get arrested and tortured, they bill you. Yeah. for the cost of your torture yes and so they're like the longer you hold out without confessing the more torture we'll have to do and so the more money you'll owe us and we can set up a payment plan where we will loan you at 11 percent interest the money to pay us for torturing you and uh yeah that and then so then to say like don't hold out too long it'll hurt your credit rating is so funny yeah that's I, great
2: I also i mean i think on the flip side of that something that i like I don't think this movie does a lot of it, but it's something I really love about David Lynch's work is pitting these incredibly raw moments in all this absurdist humor. Mm -hmm. So, like when he goes to take the check to Mrs. Buttle, the way everything played around it so surreal and heightened and strange, but her performance—yeah, she's playing it straight—is so intense and raw. Oh, yeah, and that is also surrounded by another one of my. It's not really a joke; it's more of a visual gag but when he first walks into the building and that kid walks up, grabs a gas tank and just shakes a book of matches at the other kids. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: uh, I think that That's is very, very funny. funny as well. The other thing that I just want to make sure we mention is the because there's these terrorist bombings bombings happening around town, although there's a some hint that maybe it's a false flag or something or other, but we never actually get into it. But um, there's a really early on, this is the thing that I think the other thing, someone should get fired for cutting this out of the TV version because it's my favorite part of the TV version is that he's having lunch with his um, rich mom and rich mom's friend and the crazy woman that uh, rich mom's friend's daughter, they're trying to set him up with anyway. And there's a bombing and the restaurant is so chill that they set up a little, um, scrim, a partition, a yeah. partition. So they don't have to look at the people who are bleeding and screaming on the other side of the room from the bombing is such a brilliant moment. yeah it's that's so really funny. That's you great. You
2: gotta moment. say the numbers.
0: Yeah.
2: You can't you can't just say Oh sick. yeah, and
0: then he becomes the maitre d' of the rich lady's funeral. Yeah, oh yeah. And then they knock it over and she's just goo. Oh my oh, god, god, that escalating thing of her surgery plastic surgery going wrong is I so found funny. a
1: weird thing in this movie I want to throw out. Um Okay, last thing. So last so thing. the I brought up earlier the Crimson Permanent Assurance uh because that was a that short at the beginning of The Meaning of Life uh I really loved it, and it was the first thing I ever saw that Terry Gilliam had really directed. Uh, besides, I guess Holy Grail, which he only half directed. But, um, anyways, I, I'm pretty sure in the very first scene with the, and I was not able to confirm this. So go ahead and yell at me if if you if you mm-hmm. if you think it's wrong. But. The very first scene where you see them working and they are watching something, but this is before the Casablanca joke, and you don't know even for sure that they're watching anything at this point. You hear music of whatever they're watching, and I'm pretty sure that music is from the Crimson Permanent Assurance as if they are watching that short. It's just a little Easter egg. No, I'm going to yell at you
0: because that is too obscure and difficult to research.
1: Yeah, well, no one's I would mad have to, about that. It wouldn't be that hard. I could. I, all I would have to do is. No, it would be doable, and, but
0: probably for a movie from uh, thirty-five years ago, no one knows that offhand. Probably,
1: I just felt good recognizing that Easter egg outright. Yeah, no, that's I haven't rad. even seen that's that awful. in all in a long time. Um, okay, but yeah. so we're
0: gonna do one really quick version of our third segment. So, um, is this okay? Anthony, we I don't feel like we have to do a lot of it because we have not been super complimentary of Terry Gilliam this whole time. Even though we've said there's some very funny things in the movie, we've also been kind of a dick to him, and you've hinted at this several times, so now just release me. Um, apparently, he's a dick now in real life?
1: Uh, he's just,
2: I mean, he is like a lot of sort of counterculture um, people from the 60s, 70s, and 80s who, uh, because they never had sort of strong, solid politics and their whole thing was rebelling against you know reaganomics and yeah. the sort of conservative status quo that that's all they're sort of prepared to do again this is kind of my reading on Ter- terry gilliam but i you know like this week uh chris novak uh or novakak whatever his name is the basis from nirvana oh yeah yeah says some really shitty things <laughs> and i think this yeah. a whole generation of people who all they knew how to do is rebel against the status quo yeah. Uh, and that's the only toolbox and beliefs they really have. I feel like you can see the same thing with Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, for Billy, sure with them. Billy,
2: um, Billy Corgan, not Billy, uh, the guy from Smashing Pumpkins. What's his name? Billy, Billy Corgan. Corgan.
1: That's Billy right. Corgan, yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: but just people who the only tools in the toolbox are to rebel against what's popular. And now sort of left-leaning stuff is politic popular so terry gilliam is someone who will put his foot in his mouth a lot and say things like i'm tired as a white man of being blamed for all the problems with the world i identify as a trans lesbian uh he says stuff like that a lot um Mm. and it's just very shitty uh but he's also one of those people who i think is just you know, you look at his history with movie studios and with the press, he's just always been someone who just like, this is his identity is in rebelling against stuff. Yeah. um, That's so I love,
0: I love this take. And I, um, I I do feel a little bit, I felt like with the um, Nova Selleck, uh, uh, the Nirvana guy that like, if you're still able to be let down by a bass player, you're a little too naive for my taste. (laughs) Um, But like, I think that the like, Trey Parker and Matt Stone is one that it hits a little closer to home than that one for me cuz I definitely well, there was a in high school there was a time when I thought what they were doing was super funny and then it turns course. out yeah maybe they don't believe anything and that's like so horrifying and upsetting that um yeah I'm really I'm really mad about that and that like of the things that get my in comedy more, more than almost anything that drives me crazy is people who say they make fun of everything equally which is such of the Trey yeah. Parker Matt Stone things like we, we is that some things deserve to be made fun of more than others so if you make fun of everything equally you are definitionally a piece of shit like that's your whole job is to decide which things to make fun of right like if you if you equally make fun of uh cancer victims and nazis you are a piece of shit that you're bad at comedy that's not oh it's so frustrated by it but it seemed cool and rebellious when i was in high school
2: well yeah and it's that you know if you don't It's like, I think, you know, Trey Parker, Matt Stone definitely, I think, have done so much damage in terms of, like, I was a big fan of their stuff. But when I think of so much of, like, their impact on things, it's like this. so much of their legacy is installing in so many young people. That being passionate and honest about anything is the lamest thing. You yeah, is yeah, right, right. Yeah, right. Um, and that is, I think, something that Terry Gilliam has. I think if you know, if you do have problems with him, and uh, if you do want to see him suffer, there's a lot of great stuff you can look at if you don't <laughs> okay. know about. Um, if
0: you don't know well, this, that Terry was Gilliam, a permanent feature of this segment.
2: I, I, if you want to watch Terry Gilliam have a really bad time, uh, so if you've listened <laughs> to the show for a long time you would know one of my favorite genres of movies is documentaries about the makings of movies, especially ones that never got released. And if you want to have a really good sit with this is there's a great documentary called lost in La Mancha, which is about Terry Gilliam spent like 15 years trying to make a Don Quixote movie. He finally got it. it? Well, uh, the one he actually got released has oh, okay. half driver in it. But okay. the first version he tried to make was like 15, 20 years ago. It started with Johnny Depp and who was a longtime collaborator with Terry Gilliam, um, and a bunch of other people, and they were making a behind the scenes DVD documentary, is what they thought they were making. Right. But everything went wrong every single day on production, and they ended up having to shut it down. And this documentary is the only thing that came out.
0: That's uh, so so like, interesting.
2: Famously, Don Quixote productions are cursed. Like Orson Wells tried to make one for like 10 years. Things just went bad. There's a lot of there's a long history of Don Quixote movies that did not get finished. Uh and he was his is one of the only ones that there's a full documentary for. But like there's a great, like, you know, there's just like floods, sets get ruined. Mm-hmm. Uh the one I always think of is like. No, it's supposed to be in Don Quixote's time, and they were shooting in this desert. And they promised uh, the French government that they, the French government, promised them that they would like make it a no-flyover zone. And oh. instead, the French airport air force just did drills with jets all day, like <laughs> over their filming. So there was just people like, in period costumes. Walking through the desert, and all of a sudden, you would hear a jet just go make a sonic boom above that's them. That's
0: amazing. Um, oh, that sounds very, really good. Okay. Lost in La Mancha. Just, yeah.
2: Him having a panic at- attack for essentially two hours.
0: And uh, That's very fun. I'm going to put this in our show notes on readdashwood.com. Did you, fun fact about uh, Don Quixote, did you know that there's a sequel, like the second book, the Don, Don Quixote sequel, is about Don Quixote finding out that there's a book about him that got really big and that everyone is misunderstanding <laughs> him?
1: No, I didn't know that. there's just awesome.
0: like I haven't actually read about it, but my friend uh, was who read it recently was telling me about it. It's just like apparently it's a very funny, super meta novel that's like so. Apparently, you've heard about me because my last thing got huge. Well, here's what's going. Anyway, apparently it's really fun. Awesome. Some meta um,
2: Stephen King shit. I love it.
0: Yeah, totally. Okay, so we're gonna we have time. I had to cut down the mailbags so We got more of the post, post pushed off till next week, so uh, we have time for two quick emails, and then we're gonna be out of here. So stick around for that. all right uh so you can get in touch with us by uh sending us an email podcast at read-weep.com you can also use the feedback form on read-weep.com we'd love to hear from you um uh, we don't on average get a lot of email i would say the amount of emails we get on an average week is zero to one and then we got five last week and they were all great um and so i've been having to like meter them out for the for the the lean times um so but i have uh one long and one super short one that i want to share with you guys so first this is mostly for Hunter, but it's addressed to of all of us. Dear Alex, Hunter, and Anthony, longtime listener, thoroughly enjoying the current slightly condescending film series. Uh, I'm so glad you covered In the Mood for Love, which is a film I haven't watched in years, despite frequently Google image searching Maggie Chung's Chung Chungzums. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. as someone who grew up in Hong Kong <laughs> in the 90s, I also need to rewatch Chung King Express for that mm-hmm. yummy nostalgia, especially as the city is losing its struggle to retain its independence from yeah. mainland China. So this is not like directed at you, but I think it's like aimed right at your heart um, because I happened to notice when I looked at your um, uh, letterbox just earlier, the chunking express is one of your favorite films. It is my favorite film.
1: It's your I, favorite I, film.
0: Oh yeah. It's my number one. It's amazing. Um, so, uh, Oh, by the way, it's from Alethea. Um, who goes on to say, I remember going out for Indian food at chunking mansion. Uh, which at the time felt very re- rebellious because it was a sprawling uh, building known for drug dealers, brothels, and dodgy backpacker lodgings. But now it's a popular tourist destination that's been cleaned up for a friendly shopping mall. That's, that's so awesome. crazy.
1: Wow. Um, that's really, really cool.
0: Also on the subject of Hong Kong film, Hunter may be interested in Rouge, a ghost story with a big emotional punch. Have you heard of this?
1: Oh, I have not heard of this.
0: Featuring stunning performances from the late greats Anita Mui. Oh, I'm so sorry, guys. Um, and Leslie Chung. Um, Oh, yeah.
1: Leslie Chung is in uh, a lot of Wong's work.
0: Yeah. Um, Also, I was thinking that with all the progress Alex is making, film school should uh, offer him some serious bitter coffee. After so much talk about narrative structured memory, it's time you made him sip down last year in Marion Bad. Oh, my God. You're so right. That's 100 (laughs) percent right. That would be.
1: Yeah, that's you know what it is. We've only watched one French movie and I feel like it was kind of panned by the group. And oh. I feel like if we go back to French coffee, it's there's already kind of a like a predis- French press, if you will. Pre- yes, a French press. If we go to a French press, I feel like there's already a predisposition. But I have thought about last year at Marion Bad. Well, I mean, uh, we
2: could always it would dovetail really well with Brazil. But if we watched like um, like City of Lost Children, or oh sure,
1: Dollar
0: yeah, yeah,
2: Preston or Alma Lee, any of that director's films. Um yeah interesting
0: all right and then lastly so thank you so much for the letter um uh i didn't say it right Uh, i'm so stressed out about saying it right alethea anyway i'm so sorry Allie. uh no (laughs) shouldn't do that either Um, you just
1: made up a nickname that's great yeah you got out of it anyway uh,
0: thank you so much and then one other quick email this week from katie um katie said said i'm not sure if you or the other hosts know this i'm assuming you guys do and i didn't but uh we were talking about christopher lee a lot last week Christopher Lee recorded some music in the 90s. Oh, yeah. um, oh, yeah. And Katie sent along his cover of My Way. So it's Frank Sinatra's My Way, <laughs> but Metal? Yes. yes. Sung by Christopher yeah. Lee. And it's the craziest thing I've ever yes. listened to. And apparently he also did a Lee, yeah, Christmas he was, album.
2: He was a vocalist for a metal band. Like not too that long, long before long he died as well, he released another album. Christopher Lee led a storied life
0: yeah no kidding um so i'm gonna put a link to that in our show notes as well because you definitely have to have to listen to um christopher lee's metal band it's crazy uh yeah uh highly recommend and that's all oh and and katie also said love the show and the twitch streams when i can stay up late enough are in uk time so time zones are super hard though there's like this i believe we're starting at like 11 or midnight for them so there's a lot um anyway thank you so much and thanks for everybody else who wrote in i'll get to at least these other two letters next week and hey let's wrap up
1: yeah all
0: right everybody that is it for our show thank you so much for listening and for writing in and for hanging out with us we will be back again next week next week we are talking about hunter's movie um uncle boon me who can recall his past lives
1: yeah you nailed it that's it not uh, who who um, directed that? Can you read me the name of the director nope. real quick? I didn't
0: write it down, but I'm not going to guess. Um, anyway, uh, the 2010 film, so that's what we're watching next week. How would you say it?
1: Oh, Uncle Boon May? Yeah, I mean, Uncle I'm not Boon any May. better at this than you are, man. I'm from Arkansas. I've got bad... No, but you I got uh, hit you
0: lived in Korea for a semester, for a year? That's going like I helped me with Thai. Like, not <laughs> at all. I mean, Dude, for it, sure it will a little... No, it
1: won't even a little. I, oh, really? Yeah, look at some Thai names, man. They are probably the most difficult to pronounce. Western. I was making a joke, so the the director of the movie lets Westerners call him Joe because oh. his name is. Joe. <laughs> it's so it's a toughie. Okay, mm-hmm. it's I, I would say nigh impossible on first okay.
0: try. Okay. I'm interested. Uh, That's fun. That's that's kind of him, and I don't deserve that kindness. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Well, anyway, um, that's what we're watching next week. Um, More fun pronunciations to come as we explore our first Thai film um, of Slightly Condescending Film School. Um, Yeah, check that out. Also, I want to just say uh, I didn't read the, the tweets, but I do appreciate the two people, two guys, two different people were kind of on my side during the Lord of the Rings episode last oh, week. Oh
1: god. Not not no. even a
0: majority of the people who tweeted. But I was I felt less alone in the world for yeah. one moment. And well, really I need
1: names. Give me names. <laughs> yeah.
0: You gotta I be on Twitter, your, bro.
1: Uh, uh,
2: Russian troll accounts are starting to pay off for you, Alex.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, there was a couple... There, I, I tagged you in this one, Anthony. there's like a moment in the show where you were like, I have to stop you because people are yelling at their uh, radios right now. And at least two people who were not the same as the other two people said 100%. One said I was yelling at that moment when he said that. And the other person said my husband was yelling when you said that. So <laughs> you were very accurate about that. So I do appreciate the camaraderie from at least the two people. Um, and if we die on this island, it was just three of us. At least I wasn't alone. So... We'll be back with more terrible opinions and uh, hashtag analysis from uh, Anthony and Hunter. Thanks for being here, Anthony.
1: Thank you. This is a lot of fun.
0: Always great hanging out with you, Hunter.
1: Thank you. I'm excited about next week.
0: I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, All right. So much good stuff in the future. We'll talk to everybody soon. Goodbye.
1: Bye. Bye. Bye.